So good morning. It is uh, a real pleasure to see you all here this day, and I feel the honor that you have chosen to spend uh, a kind of a gray, foggy Sunday morning at this place of worship. And I want to welcome you all, but I want to especially welcome you if you are worshiping with us for the, the first time or if you don't worship with us very often. It is a pleasure to have you here. And I want to especially, especially welcome you if you have been dragged here this morning (laughs) by a well-meaning loved one, somewhat against your will. (laughs) I know, I understand. I've got a couple of those myself. I pray that something strikes you as, as beautiful or moving or at least interesting in this place today. But to all of you, it is a joy to see you here. And and one of the reasons why I love this day is because folks come from far and wide to gather together and to celebrate. So welcome. And happy April Fool's Day. Yes, good, right? I mean, of course, it is Easter too. so yes, happy, happy Easter, um, but uh, I want to say happy April Fool's Day because you should see what the Altar Guild did in the back. It is a wreck back there. They were all sorts of practical jokes, um, but we survived. We survived nonetheless. Um, we got them back by uh, moving the first reading to the second reading. You notice that? <laughs> yep, exactly. Just know that if anything goes wrong in the service, we can always blame it on the practical jokes. So, um. But I think there's something wonderfully appropriate about the fact that we are celebrating Easter on April Fool's Day. Because, because maybe, just maybe, Easter is a day for fools. Maybe it is a day for fools. After all, there is something shocking and unbelievable and outrageous about what we celebrate on this Easter day. In the eyes of many, the claim that sits at the very center of this celebration is perfectly foolish. Because today, We proclaim that though Jesus Christ died on the cross, yet he lives. We proclaim that that almost 2,000 years ago, a man from from a backwater Jewish town in the province of Galilee in the Roman Empire was raised from the dead. That this Jesus who, who preached and healed, and, and ate meals with all of the, the wrong people, that this guy was resurrected. That this Jesus, who, who aggravated the religious and political establishment of his time so much that they killed him on a cross, a humiliating instrument of, of a torturous death reserved for slaves and revolutionaries, that this guy, this guy, now lives. Come on, that is an astounding, astounding claim. 
But of course, it begs the question, what do we mean when we say that he now lives? Well, frankly, that's hard to say. I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he was resuscitated from the dead. There was not a a holy defibrillator that shocked him back to life. Nor is he a a zombie or a vampire or, or any other sort of form of undead. But nor do we mean that his spirit lives even though his body has died. The event of Christ's resurrection transcends categories like this. The witness of the New Testament is two things. It is, one, the discovery of the empty tomb, and then secondly, these elusive appearances of the, of the risen Jesus to his followers. We see both in today's gospel reading, the empty tomb and an appearance. We see the empty tomb when Mary Magdalene, along with with Peter and the beloved disciple, all encounter Jesus' empty tomb. And then we encounter the risen Christ along with Mary later on. And we heard, too, in the reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, how the risen Jesus appears to a number of his followers over a period of time before ascending to fill all in all. The New Testament speaks of all of this in the terms of mystery. There is always something about the mention of the resurrection of Christ in the Bible that stays just out of the reach of any straightforward account. Sometimes Jesus is not recognized at first, like when Mary Magdalene doesn't recognize Jesus and thinks he's the gardener. Or another time, Jesus appears out of nowhere among his disciples, scaring some of them who think that he is a ghost. But then he invites them to touch him, and he shows them his wounds, and he proceeds to eat a piece of broiled fish. The biblical authors know how to be direct and straightforward when they want to be. But in the resurrection, there's always an element of of difficulty in these remembrances, always an element that is not readily accessible and that can't be nailed down. Perhaps with God, we should expect nothing less. But even though we speak of mystery when we speak of the resurrection, perhaps we speak of ultimate mystery, the witness is that Jesus lives. And Christianity is inexplicable apart from the experience that the story of Jesus does not end in his death. For at the very center of the Christian faith is the resurrection. And some have gone so far as to say that the Christian faith stands and falls 
with Christ's resurrection. For in the resurrection, the power of love that Jesus embodies has prevailed over all evil and all alienation and all estrangement. For you see, Jesus saw his own life as as woven up in God's plan and hope for humanity, which, which Jesus called good news or gospel. And as part of this good news, Jesus proclaimed God's forgiveness to all whose lives were broken by guilt or by shame. And throughout his life, to the very end, Jesus believed that his life and death were tied to God's great work of reconciling love, where all of humanity would be united one to another and all to God. In response to God, Jesus poured out his life as a continuous and great act of love, of love for the one that he called Abba, Father, but also for the whole world, me and you included. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, part of what is revealed is that that God's power triumphs over human failure. What is revealed is, is is that our inability to love and to cherish God and one another is answered, is answered by God's love for us, a love that never fails. What is witnessed is that, that even though we say no to God, nevertheless, God says yes to us. The resurrection means that we are forgiven. The resurrection means that, that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. The resurrection means that that God makes a way out of what seems like a dead end. The resurrection means that, that God makes a way out of what seems like no way. As such, the resurrection is ultimately about hope. Yeah, it is about, about hope for an everlasting life with God and with those we love after we die. But even more so, it is about hope for this life, this worldly life in which we live. It is about the hope that the, that the forces of hatred and enmity will not ultimately prevail. It is about the hope that new life is always possible. It is about the hope that that forgiveness is always possible and that ultimately reconciliation will prevail. It is the hope that peace is possible. It is the hope that the world can change. I see a sliver of this hope alive in the hearts of all those of goodwill, even if they don't believe in the resurrection. I see a a sliver of this hope alive 
and those who are calling for an end to, to gun violence in our schools and in our streets and in our homes. I see this hope alive in those who, who look to bring an end to the, to the power of racism at work in our criminal justice system and in our society. I see this, this hope alive in all those who are, who are saying time's up to the sexual harassment and assault of women that pervades our workplaces and our lives. It is the hope for transformation. It is, it is the hope for a new and more just world. It is the hope It is hope in the power of life and love over the power of death. The resurrection, then, is not simply about something that happened way back then. We cannot celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago from the question of what it means now and how we might live now because of the resurrection. If we come to trust in the resurrection, maybe even just a little, then we will find a new freedom to live our lives, to be more fully human, to be who God created us to be. Trusting A little bit in this resurrection means longing to follow Jesus. For those who come to risk a belief in the resurrection begin to to find their lives transformed by the power of the risen Christ at work in them. Those who risk belief will will long to see the world transformed by large and by simple acts of care and regard. They will long to proclaim the good news of God's love in Christ. They They will long to seek and serve Christ in all people and to love their neighbors as themselves. They will long to to work for justice and peace and they will long to respect the dignity of every human being. No doubt they will fail, and they will fall, and yet they will dust themselves off and start over trusting in God's grace and in God's mercy. One theologian put it this way, Faith in the resurrection is faith in the God of lovers and the dying, the suffering and the grieving. It is the great hope that consoles us and gives us new courage. The resurrection is then the triumph that changes the world. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death,
by death. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he now lives for God. And because this is so, because this is so, we can now consider ourselves dead to the ways of selfishness and hatred and enmity. We are now truly freed to love one another and to love God. Perhaps it is all a a foolish thing. But today is a day for fools. Today is a day for fools who, who dare to trust in God. Today is a day for fools who, who dare to hope that the oppression and injustice and violence of our lives does not have the final say. Today is a day for fools who risk to embrace love in the faces of all the forces that would degrade and dehumanize. Today is a day for fools. And I pray that God will make you God's sort of fools. Amen.